Hi, I'm Deborah Rosati, founder and CEO of Women Get On Board, and this is Women Get On Board in Conversation. Our goal with these video series is to empower women business leaders to have more courage and confidence to lead and serve in the boardroom. And we're delighted to have expert speakers to talk about topics they're passionate about that will help women in the boardroom. So today I am pleased to introduce Tina Mitra, who's the founder and CEO of Genesis Consulting Inc, Risk Consulting, to discuss risk appetite in the board's oversight role. Good afternoon, Tina, delighted to have you. Hi, Deborah. really happy to be here today and thank you for the opportunity. Um, it's this is certainly may not be a topic for others, but certainly a topic I feel passionately about. So looking forward to this chat. Thank you. Passion is key. Yeah. So let's begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself and the type of work you do working with executives and boards on developing their risk appetite framework. Absolutely. So in terms of background, um, I've been working in the financial services industry uh, for close to 25 years in various capacities, but all always in the governance, risk and compliance space. So in 2020, I stepped away from my banking executive career at one of uh, the major Canadian banks, and I launched what I call a boutique consulting firm, Genesis Risk Consulting, with a mission to help boards and senior leaders with strengthening but also simplifying their risk frameworks and mandates. Because from my perspective, risk management or risk oversight doesn't need to be complicated. Deborah, as you know, um, in my current capacity, I've worked with uh, several credit unions and small to mid-sized banks. I also serve on the board of a not-for-profit uh, school independent school board. So I've seen a variety of uh, risk appetite frameworks and models, and I can assure our audience they, there truly is no one size fits all. Um, and I'm hoping I'm hoping they'll find uh, today's chat to be uh, valuable and a good use of their time. To answer your question as to what, how do we help our clients or what are some of the offerings? And while it would be catered depending on the needs of the organization, it would typically follow a bit of a three-pronged approach starting with board development, right? So this is ensuring that the board is ready and has uh, sufficient capability and knowledge from a risk oversight perspective. So that would take the form of uh, either onboarding of new members training or ongoing um, risk oversight and corporate governance training. We also provide advisory services where we act as an extension of the board or the senior management team. And uh, we support them in terms of expanding their capacity and capability when it comes to risk management and oversight. And we conduct independent assessments. And what I mean by that is this is an opportunity for the board to bring in an external party. And in some industries, that's a bit of a regulatory requirement as well. But in general, it is something uh, boards, uh, boards have access to and should take advantage of to give them a point in time view on the effectiveness of the organization's risk framework. And then equally important, their role as the board and how effectively they're discharging their risk oversight responsibilities. So those would be uh, a few of the offerings. So that's a really great overview, but let's talk about, because this comes up a lot, is how do you define a risk appetite, which obviously would flow into your framework, but can you give us your definition and in the most simplistic way mm -hmm. to describe what risk appetite is? Thank, thank you, Deborah. That, that's a great question. And, um, and I'll start by acknowledging 
that while these terms risk appetite, risk appetite statement or framework or tolerances, these may be well-defined and understood concepts and terminology in the financial services space, there's sometimes a misconception that that is the only place they belong, right? Having a sound risk appetite framework is something every organization should have, regardless of size, regardless of sector. It's not just limited to banks. The big difference being that banks are mandated to do so uh, by their regulators, but everybody else should do it because it's just good corporate governance. So while every organization, like I said, could apply a different model based on their needs because every organization is different, every organization is similar in the sense that they all have a strategy which is supported by strategic objectives. And when organizations choose to pursue these strategic objectives, as we know, they bring on additional risks for the organization and cost, right? Because resources are not endless. So what risk appetite, and this is the simplest definition, would be the level of risk an organization is willing to accept in pursuit of its strategic objectives. So before coming on here today, Deborah, I, I, I did a bit of a, a sniff test on my definition as well. I asked ChatGPT, uh, hey, ChatGPT, how would you define uh, risk appetite? And the first version was a bit a bit technical. And then I said, how do you define risk appetite in simple terms? And it was along these lines uh, where, where um, the example given was if we're pursuing an investment, what is the risk that comes with it? And what is the individual or organization willing to accept? What I do um, want to maybe call out, Deborah, is that risk appetite, and I'm hoping this comes through for our audience today, that risk appetite can be a valuable resource for board members, right? It brings together two key responsibilities that all boards and board members have, which is to approve and oversee strategy and also oversee risks associated with the operations of the organization. The risk appetite brings it together in one place. It, it links risks with the associated strategic objectives. And when done well, it could be a powerful decision-making tool, not just for boards, but also for senior management. But often what I find, it's seen as a bit of an administrative exercise that is done potentially um, at an annual cycle when, uh, when the framework goes to the board for approval and, and not necessarily um, discussed throughout the year. So what I think I'm hearing you say, Tina, and great definition, glad you weighed in with ChatGPT on the simplistic term, but what I think I'm hearing you say is for organizations and for boards in, in you know, fulfilling their fiduciary duty, they have an oversight role, but they also, it can change over time, right? It doesn't mean that your risk appetite is going to be static, right? It's an ongoing and you don't wait till the annual review building out the framework because it can change, right? And I'm sure you have clients, is there an example of, you know, they would have had a high tolerance risk for something and then it's changed over time. Any examples that you, you know, can cite or use as a reference? Yeah, sure. So maybe maybe we'll talk about something that potentially everybody can relate to, right, Deborah? So I agree with you 100%. Um, the risk appetite changes. It's not static. Um, so while at a minimum, it should be looked at um, annually, there should be triggers in place to say now is the time there has been big change in, either internally or in the external environment, which requires a relook, right? A reassessment. Are we are we um, measuring and addressing these risks appropriately? The mitigation strategies that management had put in place 
do they continue to be effective um, or do they need to be do they need to be uh, enhanced and advanced? Uh, the example I'll give, um, and maybe we can talk about a couple of examples with the pandemic, right? So when organizations looked at from a, their infrastructure, from a technology side of things, right? Um, and they would assess from a business continuity, um, if something was to happen to physical premises, and usually it wasn't all premises, it would be defined locations, regions, perhaps from a country risk perspective, could they have um, their employees and the critical ones at that point go remote, whether through Citrix, whether through VPN, and could the infrastructure handle that? And, and that is how the uh, scenario testing was done. That is how the mitigation strategies were put in place. So while while that would have been satisfactory um, up until March 12th of 2020, uh, as we know, the world changed. And um, after March 13th, when everybody's trying to log on and that whether through Zoom or through Teams, I don't know of a single organization that didn't run into issues. Right. So that that is uh, something as in everybody had to relook uh, and retool themselves. And then fast forward uh, a few years since. While talent management would have been a risk, probably at near the top of every organization's risk register and probably from an appetite perspective, um, I think it has been elevated. Right. And there is there's there is a discrete, um, I guess, um, opportunity as to what can be managed by organizations, right? Everybody's experiencing shortage of skilled talent. Um, there's been a focus on by organizations on health and wellness of employees, which is very important. So while not that to say that that's, this was not important pre-2020, or even I would say more so in the last year and change, um, it is uh, more important now and organizations are taking notice. So what the risk appetite helps to do is identify what are the key risks for the organization and, and rank them. And then also what are management's response strategies, right? And this generates discussion. It's not the, this dashboard, let's say if the board is getting a dashboard every quarter, that itself is not um, uh, the answer in itself. It's more to be a bit of a discussion point and, and be used in decision-making purposes. So when we're looking at a strategic opportunity, for example, um, great boards are the ones that would say, well, how does this align with our risk appetite or what does this do for our risk profile? Um, so that really kind of dovetails to the next question, which is really what is the board's role in overseeing the company's risk appetite? And I think you've used one example in making an investment decision, but there's ongoing board's oversight roles. So perhaps maybe we could take it from what have you seen, you know, are you seeing in the banking environments, the banks, they would have risk committees versus, you know, some of the risk uh uh, responsibilities falling under the audit committee. What do you? Where do you see risk lies within the board? Is it committee? Is it the overall board? Where do you usually see it residing? So there are different schools of thoughts on this, and sector dependent, right? So if you look in the financial services, there's uh, there's guidance on having a separate risk committee. Um, whereas when you look at other sectors, it, it would be rolled up whether through audit committee or it's rolled up through another committee, um, depending on the topic. However, at the end of the day, it's the full board that's responsible to oversee risk. So I'll give an example from a not-for-profit in case uh, any of our audience members uh, are not in uh, the for-profit sector. From a not-for-profit for independent school boards as well, 
they some would say don't have a separate risk committee. It is it is a discussion item for the full board. And in my experience, Deborah, when I work with my clients and I'm doing these um, board advisory engagements, when we're looking at the effective role of the board, the first question I ask, and I and I pick a sample. If I'm not sampling every board member, I make sure I get members from every committee um, and to get their perspective. And the question um, that I ask, well, how do you feel about the risk framework? How often are you talking about risk? The most common response is that board members want to see more um, of risk. And um, one one thing uh, that came to light as one of uh, a recommendation, uh, not talking about any clients in particular, was that um, every year uh, in the summer, there's a strategic offsite where the board looks at the strategy and decides, okay, well, what does the next fiscal year look like? Okay, management, we're approving it. And then let's move forward. And the question I asked, well, where do we talk about risk during this offsite? And the answer was, well, we're going to have another one, uh, another offsite in September when we're going to talk about risk, right? That's too late. We have to be having the discussion. So the board should be looking at risks at the same time when we're considering strategy. And uh, for those uh, uh, watching today, if you have such a strategy decks that you may have attended, uh, received as part of your strategic offsites uh, in your current or previous board roles, I would just ask you to maybe just go search for the word term risk and see how many times it pops up. Because I've seen instances where in a strategic offsite, it's a major annual full day event with the board and not even one reference of risk. So what I think I'm hearing you say, risk is ongoing, it's strategic, it's integrated to the overall planning cycle. So what are some of the best practices that you would recommend to ensure that it, it's front and center? And I'm sure you've seen some of the best and made recommendations, but I've, I'm sure you've seen your share of otherwise. Yeah, so Deborah, I wanted to, I'll be honest, I wanted to come in today and share a bit of a model. Uh, and I say that because uh, in preparation for this conversation, I listened to uh, some of the other in conversations and I was uh, very excited to see that a few of my colleagues came in and shared the three C's, right, on the topic that they were presenting. So I challenged myself to see if I could come up with a similar model. And uh, so I don't have the three C's. But I did come up with the ABCs of the board's role when it comes to overseeing the risk appetite, which I'd like to share. Hopefully, hopefully it helps. Um, starting with A, right? So like you said, it's a, an ongoing cycle. So assess and approve, right? Let's get started. Uh, the management has presented a recommended approach for risk appetite framework, which the board must review and approve along with the supporting risk management processes and controls that management is putting in place. Once that is in place, we have a framework, it's the board's responsibility on an ongoing basis to be informed. So that's what the B stands for, be informed. Make sure you're getting information throughout the year that helps you give a bit of an informed um, opinion on what you're seeing from a risk appetite perspective. You should be getting, we talked about dashboards a few minutes ago, um, showing how we're faring as an organization to the risk appetite metrics that we had approved at the beginning of the year. There should be some qualitative information, but there should also be quantitative. For example, it should have trending, right? Based on historical results, where are we today? What does that compare to last quarter? What does that compare to a year ago? But then also forward-looking and a bit of forecasting. So the board is not surprised um, that in a quarter's time, we may be at a potential breach of our risk appetite. 
And knowing that we're about to breach uh, risk appetite, it's equally important to know what's management's plan and what's the board's role. Is the board being alerted to, is it just a notification and no action is required? Is it a bit of an approval or um, board will direct management to de-risk or perhaps avoidance, right? Are we not even pursuing that? And one thing I think risk appetite can also be key to inform the board is not only when we're about to take on too much risk, but when an organization is potentially not taking on enough risk and not pursuing sufficient opportunities, because then that job may jeopardize uh, the organization's strategic objectives. And then C being continually monitor and adjust, right? So you brought this up, Deborah, already, uh, so I won't go into the details. It's about looking at it on an ongoing basis. It's not a static exercise. And um, so the board, it's not an annual exercise, not an administrative exercise. It's the board's responsibility throughout the year, no matter what board you're on, to ABC, assess and approve, be informed, and continually monitor and adjust. In terms of... Those are phenomenal ABCs. I love that you kind of put it in perspective. <laughs> then, you know, it's a lot easier for people to understand. Oh, Tina spoke about the ABCs. What does that mean? So it really makes it concrete um, methods to use. Thank you. You also asked me about best practice, Deborah. So if I can quickly maybe share those where I've seen this work well, where organizations have successfully put in um, a robust risk appetite framework uh, and effective board oversight is where. So we talked about the risk appetite being linked to strategy and it's being used and integrated in ongoing decision making. But the one key point being that it uses terminology that every all stakeholders in the organization are familiar with, right? So it's not it's not language reserved for the board and senior management and nobody else understands. So the test would that be if it's a financial institution, I would encourage them, the board to envision if you walked up to a teller, for example, can they tell you what the organization's risk appetite is? And if they can, then green green thumbs up to you. That's a, that's a gold star job well done. But most of the time, I, I would say it's probably not the case. So in addition to that, um, a second thing uh, or a key characteristic, I think that's important and I've seen as a best practice is that intentional um, investment in the board's capability when it comes to risk oversight. And it starts, Deborah, you know this better than anyone, um, just an objective assessment of the board's skills and competency matrix. That's just good corporate governance. It doesn't even have to be with uh, risk oversight. It's just in general, some an exercise that should be done. And depending on what gaps are identified, then the board can either go through the avenue of recruiting uh, the appropriate skills and experience through new directors, up training and upscaling the existing directors or bringing on an external advisor if it's a bit of a niche skill set they're looking for. And uh, the third, but I think an important um, thing that I've uh, I've witnessed and I also encourage boards to do so is get periodic independent assurance that your risk, uh, your risk framework is actually operating effectively. So this is in addition to what management is doing in terms of self-assessment or test. Sometimes some boards, depending on the size of the organization, may look at their internal audit to fulfill their function, depending on their capability and capacity. Some may go external um, and some may use a combination of both, depending on the maturity uh, and needs of the organization. So, Tina, you're filled with knowledge on this topic. Uh, I know we're going to wrap up. So where would our audience go to uh, today to find out more about the work you do at Genesis Risk Consulting? 
Absolutely. Yes, I could talk uh, for a long time uh, on this. So happy, happy to chat with anyone who's interested in exploring this further. Um, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn, or they can send me an email at Tina at GenesisRiskConsulting.com. And thank you. That's this edition of Women Get On Board in Conversation. Tina, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights with our Women Get On Board community. To find more resources for your board journey or join Women Get On Board, our 850 members across Canada, visit womengetonboard.ca.